Episode 19, Carrie Setchell, author of the book, Base Jump, Finding Yourself in an Unfulfilling Professional World. And picking my favorite one, I thought at first, I thought this is going to be so hard, but it really wasn't. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Carrie Setchell. Um, she is a coach, a speaker, and a trainer. She has her own business. Um, previously, she was a partner at Deloitte. She had risen through the ranks there. So Carrie has over 20 years of coaching and consulting experience. She's the author of the best-selling book, Base Jump, Finding Yourself in an Unfulfilling Professional World. And she's co-author of the book called The Worry Her Playbook. Um, so that's uh, with an H-E-R in there. And we'll have a chance to talk about those books and um, some of Carrie's work. But first, let me welcome you. Thanks for being a guest here, Carrie. Thanks. It's so great to be here. Um, so, you know, we like to jump right in um, to the, the main question at hand here on the podcast. Um, Carrie, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, it, it was so funny when I heard about the podcast and this question because I feel like I've made lots of mistakes. Mm -hmm. And picking my favorite yeah, one, yeah. I thought at first, I thought this is going to be so hard, but it really wasn't because there's one mistake that sticks out in my mind as a mistake that created a pivot point in my life, both personally and professionally. A, a realization I had that changed my life. And I was, as, as you said, Mark, I was a partner at Deloitte and I was leading a very, very large team. And my team had a very, very large deadline. And they've been working incredibly hard. Uh, we were the eve of the deadline and uh, it was late at night. And one of the team members walked into my office with this just panic look on her face. And she said, we've got a big problem. And we did indeed have a problem. Um, and I knew that be, as the leader of the team, I was ultimately accountable. It was it, sure there might've been an individual who made an error, but I led the team and I created the structure that allowed this, um, this mistake to occur. And as I sat there in my office, there were, you know, years and years of programming about how, how does one handle a situation like this? You know, I'm thinking about the, the client. I'm thinking about my team that's been working incredibly hard. I am having compassion for the person who made the mistake because I know they feel terrible. I'm thinking about how am I going to report up to my, you know, partners and partners and partners who I report to. And in the midst of all this, I had this very deep sense of calm that was very odd to me. I'm thinking, how do I feel so calm? And it was because 
I knew very simply what I needed to do. I needed to act with integrity. I needed to act with compassion. And I needed to fix it. There was no thought of, am I going to lose my job? There was no thought of, uh, are my other partners going to downgrade me? There was no thought of, of really ego self-absorbed thoughts that, you know, frankly, in my career, I've had plenty of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be surprised if, if others haven't. Yeah. And I didn't have those thoughts. I was so grounded and so in touch with who I was authentically. And it was this amazing awakening of, oh my gosh, that's me. That's the person I am. And when I went back to, I was out of town, when I went back to my hotel room that night, I prayed and I didn't pray, God, help me fix this problem. I prayed, God, help me show up as the person I am, not as the person I feel pressured to be. So what what do you think at that time was that gap or that difference between what you were and, and the pressures to be something different? I, I think that many of us, whether we're in large organizations or we're entrepreneurs, feel so much pressure so many times to look like we're un, unfailable, that we don't make mistakes, that we, we are always cool, calm, and collected. We are taught to play politics. We're taught to blame. And that's not at all who I wanted to be. And I, I, I prayed, God, help me have the strength to be myself and not fall into those patterns that I could very easily fall into. And I'm sure in the past I have fallen into. It changed, it it really changed my life. So in the short term, you know, when you talk about, you know, changes in in the longer term, in the short term, how did that play out? Then you, you were back at work with the client the next day, what what happened next? And you know, it's really amazing how things in moments seem so unbelievably difficult to resolve and how when you ground yourself and remove yourself from the whirlwind and the the drama of the situation, solutions appear. Mm So a solution appeared, we solved the problem. Everybody got what they needed. The deadline was met. <laughs> everything, everything worked out. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I received a really, gosh, how do I even want to say it? Scathing email from one of my partners. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I felt really thrilled that I didn't send any scathing emails to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, reading it, you know, it, it hurt me a little bit. But at that point, I felt so much personal power mm-hmm. that I didn't fall into the patterns that I had fallen into in the past. Make no let's. I'm not going to tell you that I've never played politics 
Um, or blame or somebody or throw them under a bus. For <laughs> sure. I, I know I have. Yeah. And I just... I I was I was like I was I was addicted to this new found knowing mm-hmm. that I don't have to do that anymore. It was awesome. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll in a minute talk about what then um, I, I know about the the career change. I don't know how soon that happened for you afterwards. But just to go back to your story um, one last time, you know, you 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 said you took own. I appreciate that you took ownership of. This, the, 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 the system, the team, if you will, that there was a management mistake mm-hmm. on, on your part and maybe with others involved that led to a mistake. You said the person who made the mistake, was it um, a technical error or something that sort of falls into just simple human error? Was it a bad decision? I'm just sort of curious of what kind of mistake it was and is it the type of mistake that could have been prevented or circumvented in some way? I, I, it was a process error. So a not understanding how certain things needed to be done in the sequence to get things submitted, to get things to, to allow the process to move quickly. You know, when you're dealing with very, very large organizations, there are processes that have to happen because of just the amount of, 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 data transactions, et cetera, that moved through the organizations. And it was a process error in understanding how that process was going to work to make sure that this flowed smoothly. And um, we were able to, we were able to resolve it, um, Mm -hmm. which was, we were very thankful for, but in the moment when it didn't appear that we had a resolution, it was a very tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. And And so humans could, we, we should have known. Should have, would have, could have, Um, you know, didn't read like one little line of something. And, um, you know, those things happen. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, when when process issues come up, like in the realms I've worked in, whether it's manufacturing or or software companies in healthcare, um, I, I think often the healthiest response when there is some of the one of those issues of, well, somebody should have known is when leaders step back and ask, why didn't they know? And what can we do not to, um, you know, because you know, there, there is, I think, this often uh, this human nature to blame and mm-hmm. to deflect from ourselves. Um, but, you know, I'm always impressed when leaders step up and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for this and we're going to improve that system so that the next time somebody else in that situation isn't put in that position of not knowing or should have known better. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, you better believe there, there were a whole new set of processes developed around that one. Absolutely. So at what point then, um, you know, you, you had this moment um, where it seemed like, you know, you, you understood yourself better and what you were and what you wanted to be. Did that directly lead then to becoming an entrepreneur and going out on your own? It was, it was part of a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was um, not that only one incident that occurred, but a a number of different situations that that led to a great awakening in my life that um, I had had an amazing career at Deloitte. uh, And I am immensely, immensely grateful to the firm and uh, my partners 
and the people that I've worked with for the opportunities I had, but I had accomplished what I had set out to do. Mm-hmm. It was time, it was time to move on. And I'll tell you, um, it was a very difficult process. I had this awakening and it took me about 10 months to even get to the point where I would admit to myself and to my husband, this has got to, this has got to end. We, we have to make, we have to make plans for me to leave in a, in a period of time. And it was one of the saddest times of my life because I, I had to, in so many ways I was grieving Mm -hmm. the loss of this dream that I had had since I was in, in law school. I mean, making partner in a firm like that is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it's like the end all be all. And then you get there. And for some people, it's a wonderful career to stay in their entire lives. But for me, it, it, it wasn't. And I always knew in my heart that at some point I had to go do something on my own and I just really wanted it to be when I was like in my mid fifties and already had retirement all settled in, you know, <laughs> yeah. but the call came earlier. And when you get that call, um, it's really, I, I couldn't live anymore knowing that I, it was time to go. Yeah. So then I'm curious about your, your two books. How much did those career experiences of yours influence the book versus um, writing about other professionals or in the, in the case of, it seems the worry her playbook, other women that you knew or interviewed or worked with. Yeah. My experiences directly um, influenced both of the books. Base jump is really about the, the experience. And it's so interesting because that experience for me now is, is, several years old Mm -hmm. but the book base jump is about how how do you put yourself in the position with your beliefs assumptions securities and expectations that allow you to even jump whatever that jump is for you and that could be a personal jump it could be a professional jump but how do you get yourself in a mindset that allows you to see that you can have other possibilities in your life instead of staying just stuck in this place that I call comfortable hell. (laughs) And I, and I lived there for a while and it wasn't Mm -hmm. fun. And so the title of the book and you, you've answered, I was going to ask the base in base jump is capitalized. You, you unfurled the acronym, I guess the consulting background. I say (laughs) (laughs) we just love me. I couldn't get away from the acronyms. Right. (laughs) Um, But if you can say that once more uh, for, for, for the audience, uh, the, the base, the B A S E is again, beliefs, assumptions, securities, and expectations. Okay. And the one other word that you said there um, that that stood out is being stuck. Like even though my background is um, engineering, um, you know, in the past five years working in healthcare, I, I you know through an introduction to a social worker and professional circles, um, you know, really got me studying um, uh, counseling mm-hmm. and some of the practices using counseling. Um, one approach, um, I won't get on a soapbox, I'm interviewing you, but uh, there's an approach called motivational interviewing. And in that framework, the word stuck comes up a lot. And what we sometimes, and, and there are workplace applications of this, what often gets described as resistance to change by some um, is described by many of these counselors as ambivalence. 
And so you called it com comfortable hell? Yes. So there's, there, so I'm curious, you know, if you think of scenarios where, you know, um, it seemed like comfortable hell, that, that's a vivid way of saying it, or with ambivalence, you have reasons to change, but you also have reasons not to. What's Absolutely. your advice? What's your advice when people are in a situation like that? Yeah, and, and being in an ambivalent place, in a place where there is a lot of, of, um, a lot of compete, there's a lot of competing evidence. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's evidence that I should stay here. Yeah. I'm making X amount of dollars. I know what I'm doing. I have, or at least I believe I have security. I have what I always wanted. Mm -hmm. I have what everybody else thinks that I ought to want. Yeah. And then over here, there's this like really weird feeling that you can't quantify that has no levels or, or, or logical path to it. It's not linear. It's, it, but it's pulling you like this gravitational pull. And it is one of the most difficult places for a person to live. And so if, if anyone who's listening to this is in that place, my best advice for you is to allow yourself the full experience of, of what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself to feel that pull and also allow yourself to understand what are these, these reasons? What are these concrete things that are keeping me here? And just start challenging yourself. Why does it have to be this way? Why do I have to be in whatever it is, this box that I'm in, I, I call it a glass box to have these things. You know, one, one thing I will never tell people, I, I think a lot of times we tell people like, oh, you know, go live your passion and everything will work out. <laughs> and I, as a former accountant, and pretty, you know, and, and I am a highly spiritual person, but also a practical person. Yeah. There's, there's a practical balance there. Know your numbers. Understand how much money you do have. Mm -hmm. Know how much flexibility you have. It's and, and you might say, well, Carrie, I don't have any flexibility. And I say, oh, we all do. Mm -hmm. It just may not be in that realm of what you expect or in this perfect realm of what you're visualizing. Mm -hmm. It may be some other way to earn a stream of income while you do something else. It's, yeah. it's not a matter of you can't, it's a matter of starting to open yourself to different possibilities. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I encourage people to go um, learn about both books and, um, you know, I have an, another topic before we wrap up here, but um, Carrie's website is carriesetchel.com. Um, Carrie with a C, I guess you always have to end up spelling. I'll put it in the show notes, um, carriesuchel.com. And you'll see her name in the title of the episode. And, um, you know, her books, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like Base Jump is really for, for anybody who is in, um, as the subtitle says, an unfulfilling professional world or is stuck. Yes. Anybody, men, women, any age group. Um, I've had people who are getting ready to retire, read it and, and get a lot out of it. And people who are 
in their twenties and mm-hmm. who are struggling with, do I really like where I'm at? Mm-hmm. I, it, wherever you're at this, the book will, will give you some very practical, um, practical steps to take to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've, I've been at that point in maybe every decade of my adult working life at one point or another, not continually, mm-hmm. thankfully, but um, I will go check that out. And then the other book, um, the Worry Her playbook is targeted uh, for women as uh, a reader. It is targeted for women as a reader. I think men can get a lot out of it because mm-hmm. men deal with so many of the same issues that women do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 particularly in terms of just caring for yourself and allowing yourself to enjoy your life and not just work 24 seven and feel that that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's targeted towards women. I think guys can get something out of it too, though. Okay, cool. So then the other thing I want to talk about something that you speak about a lot, and you shared an article with me um, in advance of um, doing the interview here, and that article will be available for others. Um, the topic of female breadwinners, what are some of the, the challenges? Or I, don't, I don't know if the word mistake is fair to use when it comes to a, a couple where uh, you have a uh, primary or sole earner uh, being the woman. Does that create, what, what do you see happening there? And why do you speak and write about that? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mark, for bringing that up. Um, so real quick, my I was the breadwinner in my family for a number of years, um, for years before I was a partner at Deloitte and then for the entire time when I was a partner at Deloitte. And my husband and I have a son, Daniel, he's 12 years old now, but he was a very young, small baby when my husband became a stay-at-home dad. And then we quickly whisked ourselves off to India to do a two-year assignment there for Deloitte. So my husband was a stay-at-home dad in India on top of being a stay-at-home dad. So we at first felt like it was the most perfect arrangement possible. I had this great career that was just going crazy. I had the sky's the limit as far as opportunity was concerned. And my husband um, is a photographer, loves art, was happy to stay home with Daniel. And um, we just felt like all the stars aligned and this should be perfect. And I worked with so many men whose wives stayed at home and it all just worked wonderfully. And I couldn't imagine how it couldn't just be the perfect thing for us. Yeah. And what I found um, as I ended my time at Deloitte and then um, came back home with the family, I had been traveling a ton was that we were a real mess. We were not in a good place. Um, We had a lot of issues to deal with, each of us individually, but also as a family. Mm-hmm. My husband had developed a, a very disempowering alcohol habit, and um, we we needed to recover. Mm-hmm. Through that journey, we have become so close and developed the most beautiful relationship I could have ever imagined. I, I don't even think I could have imagined having a marriage and a relationship with another person as deep as ours. But, you know, when you're going through a situation like that, 
you don't often think that other people are, you know, we all think everybody else has it all figured out. And we really just thought, oh, well, it's just us. And as we became stronger and we uh, we got through the, the deep valley, people started to say, well, you know, you should really work with other female breadwinners in their families. I and mean, they need to, like, they you could really help them. And we said, well, like, other other family like other families have problems and people said oh yes and so we started doing the research and we found unfortunately the the level the level of or the the divorce rate is much much higher in female breadwinner mm. marriages the infidelity rate is much higher and we set out to do our own survey and our own interviewing and we and mark i so appreciate you sharing the article with the listeners because mm -hmm. it's it's a a very summarized version everybody i promise you it will take it's a super easy read and you're going to get so much out of it but it summarizes what we learned from interviewing over 100 female breadwinners and Gosh, picking out just a couple, um, a couple of the challenges. I'm not going to say mistakes because these aren't mistakes; they're challenges. Sure. And one of them is just, and I think women in general, not just female breadwinners, but women in general, have this challenge of pretending to be a man. It's like this pretending. We uh, we feel like we have to pretend to be a man to get ahead in the business world. And when we're in this relationship with a man at home who is a stay at home dad. A lot of times we think, well, he needs to pretend to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And you, you create this situation where everybody's pretending nobody is living authentically and nobody's happy because the man isn't going to do the things that a woman does because men and women are different. And that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And the woman is going to work every day and constantly being masculinized. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, losing much of her authenticity and her female power, her female instincts, because it feels like they just aren't welcome mm -hmm. in, in the business world at the heart of so many of the other challenges is this particular challenge. And it is it's a challenge of us not honoring who we are. Well, and that comes back to what you said earlier when you were telling your first story of having mm -hmm. moments of, I don't know if a, a moment of clarity is the right way of putting it, but a moment of realizing what I am. And if there is, an, again, a gap professionally or personally between what I am, how I think I should be, versus other expectations, um, that, that gap creates tension. That tension is going to resolve itself one way or another. And hopefully, you know, it's uh, resolved in a way that's constructive and helpful as opposed to some of the other things people fall into um, that are that end up being uh, harmful, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, sure. um, so um, there's a lot, I feel like, oh, okay, we're going to end on something a, a little more upbeat than... Um, than, than that. But um, maybe if you give one other piece of advice and, you know, I'm, you know, so upbeat about um, my 
relationship and marriage to my wife, who is not, I'm not afraid to say, is not the sole breadwinner, but her income has um, surpassed mine to where I would say she is the primary income. Mm-hmm. I'm, we don't have kids. I'm not uh, stay at home. I'm still working. And that's probably, you know, a different category of, you know, we talk about, do you, you know, do, do men uh, who are out earned by their wives feel bad about it? If I ever did, I guess I got over it quickly. But um, <laughs> Because, you know, it's a partnership and, and I admire and appreciate what she does and who she is. But um, are, are there thoughts? Um, I know a lot of what you shared in the article um, involves kids. Any other thoughts or tips for um, those of us who are, I don't know if people still use the acronym around dual income, no kids, but um, any, for those of us who are in you know, those, those circumstances, any other insights or advice to kind of wrap things up? Yeah, I, I think that one of the most important things for all of us to remember is that when we're in a relationship with another person who we've chosen to be highly connected in our life, so our spouse, partner, um, whomever that is for, for any person, the relationship with that person is so sacred mm-hmm. and it's something to be cherished what i see so much with people is they don't spend time together just the two of them there's always other people there's always other couples there's always other families stay so greedy about the time that you have together because it's precious and it doesn't have to be tons of time. I mean, we, we're all people out there making a contribution to the world. We have lots of things that we're interested in doing and, and becoming, but that time that we invest with the other person who is journeying through life with us is time that is needed Mm -hmm. It is so important. It's so sacred. And it doesn't need any, anything other than just the time. You don't need to spend money. You don't need to go on a fancy trip. Stay in the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. And find that place where the two of you can really, truly be all of who you are together. And it is it just creates more joy in life than I could, I, I really ever imagined possible. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's well said. That's beautifully said and, and great words to, uh, to think about. So again, we've been joined today by Carrie Setchell. Um, you can learn more about her and her books and her speaking and her work at carriesetchell.com. Um, so Carrie, thank you so much for uh, being here today, for sharing your story and your insights uh, with us here today. Thank you. It's great to have this conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.